week two of James, and we have focused in James on this word, activating. Now, today, what I write on this screen is really a picture of what I want to encourage you to write on the notes pages on the back of your handout that you got on the way in today. So on the back of that handout, it gives you an opportunity to write plenty of notes because I'm going to teach verse by verse through this section in James chapter 2 today. But one of the things that we made a big deal about last week is this thought that James is all about acting your, activating your faith. So go ahead and start with two words. The first one is faith, and the second one is works, okay? This is supposed to be a hand-in-glove experience where our faith causes us into doing good work. Now, as we get started, I'd like for you to draw another picture, and uh, I think you'll find that this one is uh, probably helpful. Sorry. There we go. <clears throat> as we erase this, I want to make sure that you get another one, and that is this. Everything is a matter of the heart. Everything is a matter of the heart. And James is keenly aware of this. As a matter of fact, part of what James is saying to us all is, because everything is a matter of the heart, I want to make sure that you understand that the process of James chapter 2, where he gives us some pretty bold statements, statements like, your faith is worthless without good works. But I think he's also saying to you, your good works are worthless without your God-centric faith. All right? He's saying these are hand in glove. So uh, if, if you are where you can do this, I want you to, to write a couple things. One, I want you to write, love is the key to living for Christ. Love is the key. But now watch this. James activates and turns love into a verb. All right? He, does, he says, this is the key, love. Now, love in this context is also the distribution of faith. So if you would, here's what I want to do. Let me go in here and uh, erase a little bit. I want you to draw a person. All right? My, my guy there. Okay, let me give him a little bit of hair. All right? So here's my guy here. Now, you ready? Okay, so are you writing this? Are you drawing it? How many of you just drew a person? How many of you are saying, there's no way I'm going to do this? Okay. All right. Well, you're in trouble. All right. So, uh, so watch this. The process that James teaches in James 2 is it all starts with our little dude's heart right here. Okay? And, and the heart change goes from the heart to the head. Are you with me? From the head to the hands, let me give him some. All right, he's got a little championship ring on there, all right? And so it goes from the heart to the head, from the head to the hands, from the hands to the feet, and from the head to the mouth. All right, you see how this works? So now watch this. So James is saying in a minute when we read this text, it starts with the heart, the heart goes to the head, from the head, the hands and feet are about good deeds and works, and that's because now the mouth has taken the, the same tack. So James is saying everything that matters starts with the heart. That love is the key to living for Christ, but that love is fortified with faith. Now, you've heard me say it a thousand times, but it's worth saying it again now. Scripture is clear. 
when it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you've heard me say this before. Most of my life, the way I heard that text, it sounded like this. Chuck, you idiot. If you really love me, you would keep my commandments. Thunk. That's how I heard it. But God did a breakthrough in my life with the recognition and understanding of the doctrine of grace that that is not at all how God spoke those words. It sounds more like this. Hey, Chuck, you know, if you would just love me, it would be so much easier to follow my commandments. And when I heard it that way, I thought, okay, this is like a long view, which is, the first thing I need to do is learn how to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. You say, well, it shouldn't be that hard, is it? Well, look at everything that's competing for your attention. Look at what's competing for your attention, your dollars, your time, your money, your effort, your energy. And God is saying, everything is a matter of the heart, so what I want you to do is give me your heart. Now, in our world, this heart right here, this one, that heart, it, it's beating, and it is an organ, but when, but when God talks about our heart, he talks about all of this. When God says that love is the key and it's all about your heart, God is saying it's not just the organ, it's from the tip of your toes to the top of your hairs. It's the whole kit and caboodle. We give it all to him because love is the key. How so? That I give myself willingly surrendering myself to the presence and the power of the Spirit of God within my life. Now, this is a pretty important picture because James says what we need to learn to do is just do it. And now we have to ask ourselves, what is that? When I watch this, I want you to know that before you get to dealing with that, I want you to deal with this. How do you know what the do is? Because then you'll know how to do it. Now watch this. Here we are, men and women, and we're down here struggling, fighting uphill in this life. And we're striving to move forward in our life. And up here is a holy and a righteous God who looks down on us and understands that we are not in right relationship with God. That we, we, we are not righteous in front of God. As a matter of fact, the scriptures are clear. There's nobody righteous, nobody but God. But in our sinful way and in, in our selfish way, we keep thinking in our own power, we can keep moving forward. And God loved us so much that he sent his son, the second part of the three-part God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God the Father sends God the Son to die on that old rugged cross. And Jesus sheds his blood and his body is broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And we're still striving to get up the hill, but we don't have to strive because Jesus will come into our life and the gifts he gives us in the, in the Spirit of God says, if you'll just surrender, I will bring you up the hill I will grow you up, I will mature you, and I will bring you into faith. Just do what? Number one, write this down. The first thing we do is surrender. You're not going to make it up the hill until you surrender. It's like, 
Like, God, I, I want to I succeed. I want to be wildly successful. I, I want to do something that matters. I want my life to count. And what he's saying is, okay, I know this seems backward, but surrender. Stop fighting in your own power and trust Jesus. You say, well, I don't know how to do that, Chuck. That just doesn't make sense to me. I know it doesn't. To surrender in the midst of a fight does not sound like what we do. Because what we like to do is think it's in our own power that we're going to get up the hill. And the answer is, no, we're not. This is where our great frustrations lie. We get completely, completely off track because in our own power, we're certain. And yet in our own power, James says, we're nothing. What are we going to do? We're going to surrender. What's the second thing we're going to do? We are going to trust by faith. We're going to trust by faith. Okay, here we go. Verse 14, chapter 2, all right? Now, this is a, uh, this is a challenging text, and, and I want to make sure that you get this. The Scripture says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters? What's the first thing I know about that? He's talking to Christians. James is talking to people that are already followers of Jesus. I know that because he refers to us as brothers and sisters. Now, could I just say to you, for faith systems who believe that is an edict that we're to communicate with one another, I, please don't do that. I, I'm begging you not to call me Brother Chuck, all right? Because if you think about it, that sounds kind of weird. Hey, Brother Chuck. You know, it's like, no, I, I just go with Chuck. That's good, right? But he's making clear, I'm writing to Christians, and he says, if you say you have faith, and then underline, but don't show it. He says, if you say you have faith, don't, but don't show it by your what? Actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? So right out of the gate, James is saying, I want you to do a little self-assessment real quick. Do any of you do like me and Jenny? Me and Jen, anytime you see one of those weird assessments that clearly are not scientific on Facebook, but it can tell you what you are and what you think about, I'm a sucker for those things, man. I'll take all of them. And then my favorite thing about Jen is when she does them, she argues with it. We did one the other day, I'm not making this up, we did one the other day that talks about your decision-making style, right? And mine, I was clear, I mean, I just kind of go on my gut, you know, I mean, nobody's ever going to accuse me of overthinking something, right? And Jenny was kind of the same, except hers really was undecipherable. And you know what she said? Why don't they get me? <laughs> this is a trap question, guys. Don't fall for it. All right? Because there's no way out of that conversation except it's because you love so well, baby. That's the answer, right? But all I was saying to you is he's saying take an assessment, but don't make, make, make doggone sure that you're clear what you're assessing. You're assessing this, that does your faith show itself by your actions to the degree that you know that kind of faith could save someone now watch this. The next word is a big deal. Suppose. Suppose you see a brother or sister. Now watch this. So he could have said, like in my case, as I'm going about my day, as I'm walking through and I, 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 I run across Michael Wright, and I'll say, hey, man, how you doing? And Michael says, ooh, not good. What's wrong, man? Well, you know what? Uh, my house burned down. I lost my job. Uh, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, even my dog left me. And it's, it's a terrible, rotten, very bad day. And, and I say, 
I love you too, bro. See ya. Praying for you. Good luck with that. James is saying, that's not faith at work. That is fake faith where we pat people on the head and scratch them under the chin and say with religious religiosity, hey, I'm praying for you, bro. And James is saying, stop that. Don't, don't do that. Because if they have need for food or clothing, he, he says, wait a minute. Now, now, I want to make sure you get this. Would you kind of square off food or clothing? I don't want to write with that. The teaching is in need of anything. So for those of you that say, well, I don't, I don't know how to help somebody. They're, they're, they've got this emotional challenge or, or, or mental challenge in their life, and I, I, don't know what to help, I don't know what to do. Help them. How do I do this? And the answer is you do anything. Because what he's saying is if you see a brother or sister who has need for anything, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, he says, but then you don't give that person anything, what good does that do? Now, listen, there are folks in Christendom, there are folks in this church that would make this statement. Well, Chuck, it's not our job to make sure those folks who will never come to this church have what they need. We've got to take care of our own. Okay, I, I want to I address that real quick and say to you, that is the most stupid logic known to man. Not at any time in the New Testament do we not care for our own. Of course we do. It's an edict. We're to care for one another. We're supposed to love on one another. We're supposed to help one another to the degree that we can't wait to help people out there that may never walk in the doors of the church because we don't help people with a motive for them to get to church. That's not why we do this. When we go over and start doing Path Project, it is ridiculously expensive. I mean, it, it's a $50,000 expenditure if it's a penny to try and do Path Project in one little area. But I want you to think over the next 12 years, hundreds of boys and girls will graduate from high school that never would. You know what? Those folks may never walk into this door. They may never give a dime to this church, but bless the Lord, they're going to get an education and come back here and join and help make this community better. And I think the church has a responsibility to minister to them. And James says, yes, take care of one another, but put your hand in the glove and go to work. What good does it do if you just look at folks and say, bless your heart? How many times, even walking through the hallways of this church, has somebody said, man, would you remember to pray for me? And, and the answer is, yeah, yeah, sure, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then you walked away and never prayed. You say, Chuck, I can't remember. I know, I can't either. So you know what I do? I just stopped praying with them right there. I had a dude out in the hallway between services. Hey, man, you've been praying for me. He told me my name. I didn't put a face with a name. He told me the name. I got it. I said, man, how are you doing? And he said, man, I got a negative report, and that was a good thing. I'm going back for it. How can I pray for you? And he started telling me. And I said, well, let's just pray right now. And he looked at me like I had five heads. It's like there's people all over the place. What are we going to do? We're going to stop and talk to God because, listen, he's not constrained by the noise around us. Sometimes prayer is an action as well. Stop turning it into a noun. Let it be the verb. Watch this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead. Oh, my stars. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead. Watch this. Faith is always 
open-handed. Faith is always open-handed. Well, Chuck, I don't want to live with my hands open. I want to live with my hands in my pockets. I want to hang on to what's mine. So I just remind you, it's not yours. It's his. He's just letting you hang on to it. Well, Chuck, I've got this voice. Well, then why aren't you using it? Well, I've, I've got this ability. Try, why aren't you using it? Because faith always says I'm going to give, I'm going to serve, I'm going to love. Because you know what? Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead. It is useless. I mean, I want you to know that I don't want your faith to stay dead. But I want you to know that faith equals active obedience. Faith is active obedience. This is, it is the act of putting forth your faith. Remember where it started with the heart? It goes to the head. It goes from the head to the hand, from the hand to the feet and to the mouth. Then what happens is this, in, this, this work inside of us is taking over our heart so that our heart can take over our head. So that the good works we do, they're not about doing good works. They're about following the heart that the Spirit of God is working on. Now watch this. Now someone may argue. Now watch this. There's someone here. Can I just give you a clue? If you attempt to do anything to help people, you are going to be criticized. Just know it. And, and, and honestly, wear it like a badge of honor. If you attempt to do anything to love people, especially folks that are marginalized and on the fringe, somebody is going to complain about you. I want you to know that when Jesus did that, they complained about him. How much more so are they going to complain about us? And what I would say to you is this. If you're on the complaining end and you're the someone, then I would say take the assessment of your heart and determine how's your head, how's your hands, How's your feet? How's your mouth? Are they following a heart that's chasing after God? And if not, what I'd say is you might be the someone. Some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith. There's the word, by my good deeds. He's saying that, isn't it clear here that the Spirit of God is at work inside of me when he softens my heart what happens is my head follows suit, my hands and my feet are about helping good works, and my, my mouth is all about encouraging others rather than criticizing others. You see, you have faith, for you believe there is one God. In a few minutes, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And you know, part of what we say when we come to the Lord's Supper, we believe in one God, one fellowship, one body, one crucifixion, one resurrection, one Christ, one Savior. We come to the table because we know and recognize one God. Then he says, if that's all you do is believe that and do nothing with it, I think James breaks out some serious sarcasm right here. Can you not see it? Good for you. I think James is saying, listen, I know you're so stinking proud that you know things, that you know about God. I see this happen with young preachers that get, go to school again. They get, they're working and serving in the ministry, and they go back to school, and when they're in school, it's like all of a sudden they got head knowledge. They come back to the church, and it's just like, you know what, we, we, got, we got to go deeper. We just got to go deeper. So deep. And I'm for that. I want you to know, man, listen, I, 
I believe the process of discipleship ought to drive you deeper into the scriptures day by day, hour by hour, and I believe it is the source of the direction that we're to have in our life. But listen to me. If all you do is acquire knowledge and that knowledge never moves you in faith to action, then that knowledge is useless according to James. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write those words. You say, well, but Chuck, I just like to sit and meditate on the Lord. Okay. Get your brandy at the right temperature and get your stogie, get your hat, find your chair, chant a little bit. Mm. You know what I'd say? Why? The God of all heaven is waiting for you to activate your faith so that he might use you to change the whole stinking world. Why would we want anything less? I don't want more knowledge if it doesn't motivate and move me to doing something for the cause of Christ. I don't want our church to grow so knowledgeable that we don't do one blessed thing to help hungry kids. We are a people that should be motivated. But you know what he says? The demons know about one God. They fear one God. They get that understanding, but all they do is evil. And God said, they tremble in terror, but we shouldn't. And then he says, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is, I love this, it's useless. Can I tell you, if, if, I, don't, I don't get many of these, honestly. I, I, I mean, I used to get them all the time. I rarely get these. But if you call the office to complain about me, I just, all I want you to do is be, be specific. And know that I might be defensive because I'm human. But can I tell you, I don't want to be. What I want to be is I want to be the kind of person that my actions would would model the walk of Christ, and I might could say, you know what, I, I, I'm so sorry. I hope that might be my, my attitude, but I'm not sure. How about you? Because if it's not, it's useless. My faith hasn't done anything. If all I want to do is fight for me and mine, then my faith, I didn't get activated. It's like, wait a minute, God is saying, come on, let's go. Come on, Chuck, let's go. And, but it's useless if I, if I don't put it to work. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Now watch this, I want you to write down two names. Abraham, and then underneath it, Rahab. Okay, he's gonna mention two people. In the next slide, he's talking about, about Rahab. Right now, about Abraham. I want you to write two words beside Abraham. One was go, the other was surrender. Two words. Abraham lived with his family in a day when you never moved more than three miles from where your family was when you were born. Never. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave that country and go where I'm going to tell you to go. And at no point did God say to Abraham, here's your GPS signal. I'm going to drop a pin. All you got to do is follow this. At no point did he say, here's a roadmap. He didn't even say where your destination was. He said to Abraham, you go. When Abraham was 100 years old, God said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm just thinking to myself, no. I'm almost 60, no. I mean, there's a reason why you should have babies when you're young. I love hanging with our grandchildren for like five or six hours. At about hour eight, it's like here. 
I'm dead, right? A hundred years old. His wife's only 10 years younger than him. She's waddling around pregnant thinking, man, we've just got started. And Abraham said, I'm so glad it's you, not me. There was no epidural on her horizon. They have this little boy named Isaac. They're so thrilled. And as he grows up a while, then God says to Abraham again, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, load up the wood and build an altar. And I want you to have a sacrifice and atonement for your sins to get right with God. And, and he says, then I want the thing that you're going to sacrifice instead of a goat, instead of a lamb, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham surrendered. And he took Isaac, and he built the altar, and he laid Isaac across the altar, and he drew his knife as if he were ready to slit that throat, as if he would for a goat or a sheep. And right at that moment, God provides a substitute, and he stops the arm of Abraham, and you hear in the background, and there's a ram stuck in the thistle in the bushes. And the voice of God says, no. I provided a substitute for you. But what he did was he went and he surrendered and he was shown to be right with God by his actions because he offered his son. He went and he surrendered. Watch this. You see his faith. This is talking about Abraham. You see his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. Look at this word complete. All right, now, some of you are thinking, so wait a minute, that means if I don't do, it's not complete and I don't have heaven? No, 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 no. No, listen, when God sent Jesus as, as a savior of the world and his blood was shed and his body was broken, the, the, the only way you go to heaven is through Jesus. He said it was really simple. If you call on my name, I will answer you. If you call me Lord and surrender my life, I'll answer you. If you'll surrender and ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. If you want me to come into your life, I'll knock on the door of your heart and you let me in and you can have heaven. But friend, listen, the Christian life is so much more than heaven. The Christian life is today. It is now and it is complete when we choose to surrender all we are to the presence of the Spirit of God. But if all we're going to do is get deeper, we're never going to be complete. We are to grow deeper in our faith and we're to go serve a little deeper in our surrender. Did you see that? This is what the hand and glove is. And look what it says. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham, watch this, believed God, and God counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. I love this. And he was even called the friend of God. How would you like to put on your resume? I am God's friend. Well, how do you know that? God said it. You want to put that on your resume? Then here's what happens. A faith that is activated in your heart moves to your head and from your head to your mouth and from your mouth to your hands and from your hands to your feet. And the works and the deeds that we do are all motivated because of the goodness of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God. Now watch this. We're shown to be right with God by what we do not by faith alone. Oh, my stars. Faith always leads to faithful service. Always. 
A true faith will always lead to faithful service. You say, well, but Chuck, you know what? I, I just, I'm, in a, I'm in a time in my life where I cannot serve. I, there's nothing I've got. I, there's nothing left. I'm not talking about going and doing something for the church. I'm, I'm talking about for the kingdom of God and your comings and goings in your everyday life. Is there something that you can do where your faith is activated, always leading you to faithful service? Now, he comes back and he, and he mentions Rahab here. And I, I think this is pretty fascinating stuff. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example, he says. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by the road. All right, now watch this. Faith activated will cost you something. Always. It'll cost you something. Faith activated is always going to cost you something. Now, it's, it's fascinating. Every time Rahab is mentioned in the Bible, they, they complete it with comma, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. And so, so Rahab, the prostitute, she was shown right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. She, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them. So Joshua sends some spies into the city. And then the king finds out about it. So he sends all of his guys out to find the spies. And the spies get hidden in Rahab's closet. Now, aren't you glad we didn't have social media in that day? I mean, seriously, it's like, okay, they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Okay, but, but she was the one person that knew God had sent them. She was the one person that said, I need to protect them. She activated her faith knowing it would cost her something. But watch this. This is a big, big big deal. Just as the body is with, just as a body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now watch, this is a very big deal. Faith will cost you something. Faith in action will reward you greatly. You choose. You say, well, Chuck, I don't know if I can trust God. Yes, you can. Over and over again, faith is rewarded, and we constantly are moving forward. Don't deceive yourself, friend. Just do it. I want to ask you today, as you think through the end of this teaching, what would be, what, what would be a couple of takeaways for you? And the first one I would say is this. Make sure you assess yourself. Is your heart surrendered? And if the heart's not surrendered, the head, the mouth, the hands, and the feet, they're going to follow suit. Secondly, are you willing to activate your faith or it might cost you something? I mean, at work, if you actually did something that would encourage somebody with the, with the promise of God, would you just become the weirdest human on the planet in your office? What might happen? Would somebody say, oh, where, what happened to the old you? I mean... And all I would say is, listen, God's going to always faithfully reward faith in action. Third thing and final thing. Is it possible that the reason you're not activating your faith is that you're not clear what you believe in? Is it not clear what you believe in? In a moment, we're going to participate in what we know as the Lord's Supper communion. But before you come to the table, and by the way, if people who ask, why don't you pass these trays, 
I believe there is something monumentally important about physically coming to the Lord's table and partaking in this supper. But I encourage you, don't come unless you know that you know Christ is your Savior. Listen, we're open. You don't have to be a member of this church to participate in communion. And honestly, you shouldn't have to be a member of any church other than the kingdom of God. But right now, if you've never surrendered your life, I'm going to ask you to take on this prayer and mean it. God, thanks that you sent Jesus and he died on a cross and shed his blood and his body was broken for my sins and my selfishness. I want to ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and start working on my heart, my head, my hands, my feet, my mouth. I want to love you with all my heart, my mind, and my soul, and I want to love others like you commanded. So Jesus, come into my life and take over. Maybe you said that at a youth camp 100 years ago. Maybe you've never said that and meant it in your life. Maybe you've, maybe you've gone so far without recognizing that God's in charge and you've kind of done your own thing that maybe you need to refresh and renew. But I'm telling you, before you come to the Lord's table, let's get that right. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe there are people right now that prayed with me. And God, I would, I would ask you that you would move in their heart and give them the courage when they come to partake in the Lord's Supper, they just stop by this table just to say, that was me, Chuck. That was me. Wherever you have to come from to make your way, these folks will part like the Red Sea to let you come and just tell me, I, I took Jesus today. And in a minute, I'm going to invite you after we pray to come here to the Lord's table and take a stacked cup. The top cup has juice in it and the bottom cup has the bread in it. Just take it back to your seat. And while you're here, there's little little boxes here that hold these little cards called uh, activating my faith how will I activate my faith last week I, I had mine in my truck and it kept falling so I moved it around and mine last week was I want to talk less and listen more I, I think I batted about 500 on that this week I, I'm committed there's a, there's a guy I know that I'm just he's close and I think he believes he's saved but I'm not sure he's saved my commitment this week is I want, to, I want to nail that down on behalf of this dude. I want to spend heaven with him. Whatever it is, you, you take this card back. I believe the Lord is blessed not only when we remember him in this, but when we activate that faith in such a way that we let Jesus take over in all that we do, starting with our heart, moving to our head, and the rest of our body. Father, thank you for the time to remember you, to be able to participate at your table. God, I pray we would take a silly little card and, and it would be a reminder this week to activate our faith, that our heart would move us to works that matter to you and our, our faith might be completed. God, we want to be considered friends of God. And now we know how to do that and give us the courage. For those folks that just gave their life to Christ or re-surrendered their life to Christ, give them the courage to stop by here. Nobody will ever know but me and them and you. And just let me know, Father, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we come to remember you. Amen. Y'all come on.
this is a high and a holy moment. If you need something that's gluten-free, it's right in the center of the table where I'm at. as the Lord shared with his disciples in that upper room him saying to them this bread that we're going to break and bless is a picture of my body it's about to be broken I think it's fascinating in the entire manuscript of the last days of Jesus' life that he knew exactly what was ahead of him. And, and I, I don't, I can't fathom this. I can't wrap my human brain around this. But I am keenly aware that, that Jesus knew what lay ahead for him. He knew that the beatings were coming. He knew the accusations were there. He knew he'd be spat upon and cursed. He knew that he'd be ridiculed and questioned belittled and yet he, he kept going for one reason he kept going for you man I don't get that I, I, I just don't get that I mean that's it that's an activated faith that you and I will never measure up to and I'm so glad he doesn't expect you to that's why he did it for us and he took the bread and man, can you imagine how confused those disciples were? I mean, it's like, Jesus, it's bread. I don't get it. What is it? I don't know. And Jesus said, but it's, it's a picture, fellas. This bread is a picture of my body. And when you take this bread, you're going to remember every time you do this that my body was broken for you. It's a picture. There's nothing special about the bread. There's something special about the body that is broken. And the body that we remember, we are one body. We are one fellowship in one spirit. He blessed it and he broke it. Father, thank you for this bread, for the picture that is of your broken body that you chose and you allowed to happen because you loved us that much. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We adore you. We crown you the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, our bright and shining hope. Lord, we are grateful as we remember. And they ate. And then he took the wine and he, he held it up and he said, now, fellas, this liquid, it's, you're going to enjoy it. It's the good stuff. But listen to me, fellas, it's another picture. This is a picture of my shed blood that I'm about to spill. Because like Zach said earlier, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. In all those Old Testament times, just like Abraham, where you, you got to sacrifice the blood of an animal, Jesus came and said, that's done. I'm the final sacrifice. I... I am the spotless lamb of God. I have willingly come to be, be, just be brutally beaten, 
cursed and spat upon and about to hang on that old wooden cross and they're going to drive nails through my hands and my feet. They're going to press down thorns that are a couple inches deep and they're going to press them deep into my head. They're going to strip me, make fun of me and they're going to poke my side and they're going to lay me in an old borrowed tomb dead as dead can be. Three days later, because of that shed blood, I'm going to shake off all of those death garments. And I'm going to look at that rock that's far too big for man to move. And I'm going to blow it away. And walk outside fully whole, fully healthy, fully God. And I'm going to walk outside because I'm going to beat death so that you might have life. And when you take this, remember me. And from that time on, Zach, every believer here today, the Spirit of God came by your heart and took out that pen that's indelible and did a little surgery and wrote on that heart, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And he kept going, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And he couldn't stop, forgiven, forgiven. You say, did it ever run out of ink? No, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And you say, well, how could he do it for me? Because he loves you. That's all. So my friend, on your heart can be written today, forgiven. Let's worship him. on my heart this word is written forgiven forgiven on my heart this word is written forgiven forgiven no guilt or shame can hold me I'm covered by your mercy on my heart this word is written forgiven forgiven on my heart this word Forgiven, forgiven on my heart. This word is written. Forgiven, forgiven. No guilt or shame can hold me. I'm covered by your mercy on my heart. This word is written. Forgiven, forgiven. Man, when you leave here, Recognize that he wants to go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight because that's what he does. Let him go within you, bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And in the days where this life is just beating you up, let him come behind you and bend over so you can hop on his back and wrap your arms around his strong shoulders. And let him carry all the way through the mess of this world, not around it, not avoid it, but beat it. Only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears, kiss you on the forehead and wrap you up with his arms. Look you in the eyes and say, my child, say it with me. I love you. God bless you. Go in peace.